our top goal is really to illuminate our shared humanity, help people not be afraid to talk to somebody who doesn't look like them. You do not go to war with people you break bread with. There is not enough time for me to share the numerous professional and humanitarian accolades our guest today has received. I'm so excited to introduce you to Tanya Fitzpatrick, founder of World Footprints, where she combines her passion for meaningful travel and social justice. Welcome to Energetic Intelligence for Entrepreneurs, the podcast that guides spiritually curious professionals like you into soul-inspired success without sacrificing who you are to get there. Creative pursuits with impact, expansion through alignment, personal growth for professional gains. With your host, Beth Perry. If you're committed to making a difference in your life, in your business, in your community, in the world, and you want to connect with other like-minded individuals, I really hope we see you in Operation Breakthrough, our free workshop that's starting soon. Today, we are so lucky to have Tanya Fitzpatrick joining us. And I have to say, the more I've gotten to know you, the more that I (laughs) see, you're just incredible and amazing. And I want to know so much more. I'm so excited to introduce you to the listeners today. I'm sure they're going to want to know more and we'll make sure they know how to do that. But welcome to the show. Oh, Beth, thank you so much. I'm so honored and grateful for this invitation. One of the things I love to start with is how did you get started in this process where you have ended up really combining your passion for both meaningful travel and social justice into work that you do in the world? I'm curious, have these passions always been passions of yours? Is this what you wanted to be when you grew up, when you were a little girl? Yes. When I look at my life, I think of it as the hub on a bicycle wheel and the different spokes represent different interests. Just to take you back, way back (laughs) then, I was bullied as a child. And for whatever reason, perhaps I, as an ambiguous ethnic person, was bullied by people of different cultures. So I was very keen on fairness and justice way back, way back when. I am also an explorer. I used to go exploring on my bicycle in parks and I would make up different destinations, different stories, riding around these little block-sized parks with hills. And I used to go exploring in my grandmother's farm. So all of those things really tapped into my interest in exploration. And subsequently, my enrollment as one of a handful of women of color who's a member of the Explorers Club and the real, the famed Explorers Club with Jacques Cousteau and David Livingston. And so I am living the life that I started as a child, just taking all of the spokes and how they have formed the hub of my life. And of course, travel has been a passion of mine forever. And the issues I experienced as a kid and things that I saw as a kid lent itself to me going to school to become a lawyer. And yeah, I've just, you know, one of those fortunate people to really find a marriage between my work and my training and my heart work, which is the type of travel that I share. 
Yes, because at least for me, when I think of travel or travel agents, now that I know you, I have a much different approach. And my family and I were digital nomads. So living in different places and experiencing different cultures and our commitment to really being a part of the community and leave a positive impact imprint of mm -hmm. sorts for us being there is something that we live. But your approach, I think maybe very different than what most people think of. They might think of travel and think of vacation, but you take it to a whole nother level. It's not just about booking your tickets and finding a beach to lay on. You talk about meaningful travel mm -hmm. and on your website, which is incredible. Uh, we will definitely have that link in the show notes where you make it easy for people to see the four different categories that you have, where you have the compass, where they can look at geographical stories, and then you have travel by design. So if someone has a niche travel desire, they can find lots of information there. Then you have cultural heritage. So people that maybe have a desire to go somewhere and they want to look, what's the arts? What's the lineage behind this? What's the cultural stories? And then fourth global citizenship, where you talk about issues really that matter in a big way. And so all these different ways that people can follow their desire to explore and be adventuresome, but do it in a heart-centered way. So I'd love if you would share more about what you mean by this concept of meaningful travel. Just for context, World Footprints, uh, our company, mine and my husband's uh, travel media platform, it started on a principle, a Zulu word of philosophy called Ubuntu. And Ubuntu essentially translates, I am because we are. And that phrase speaks to our unity. I mean, it speaks to a lot of things. It speaks to the stewardship that we owe this planet, speaks to the responsibility we have to each other as human beings. And those are the stories, or that's a through line that we try to communicate through everything we have on the website, whether it be an article or our, our podcast or soon to come video. And certainly even photography, which speaks volumes in and of itself. So with that backdrop, with that foundation of we look at the way we travel and how we should travel, and that's respectfully and maybe a little bit slower. So we are immersing ourselves in destinations and really getting to know the people from other cultures and learning their traditions with the bottom line of really illuminating our shared humanity. And I think that's always been our end goal. Our top goal is really to illuminate our shared humanity and help people not be afraid to talk to somebody who doesn't look like them. And every single guest on our show has expressed the same belief from Dr. Maya Angelou to Ken Burns to, you know, regular traveler. The show that we're posting tomorrow is a travel doctor who travels around the country and part of the Caribbean taking care of other communities. And she expressed the same thing. So it doesn't matter where you come from because you will reach the same destination and the same belief that, gosh, people are just people and they're worth knowing. Humanity is powerful. And those are things that you can discover when you really put meaning and intention into your travel. And I think when you talk about meaningful travel, it's really intentional travel. 
You know, are you immersing yourself? Are you really enjoying the fruits of the destination you're visiting, including the people who are serving you? I want to steer the conversation into ground truthing. Mm -hmm. And your TED talk on this topic was incredible. The concept really what you see in the headlines and discovering your own truth when we go to visit somewhere. So can you elaborate a little bit, maybe share a story about how people listening can improve the way they travel, feeling safe to go visit and feeling safe to explore because, you know, it's human nature to be scared of what we don't understand or what's different. And I think your approach to travel and your approach to this ground truthing concept to help support people navigate the human emotions and experiences that they're having, but also to challenge what those stereotypes might be. And I'm just going to let you take it away and help introduce that concept to our listeners in a way that they can apply to their life, whether they're traveling in their community with a new perspective or going to a completely different part of the world. Sure. You know, ground truthing or really finding your truth on the ground is a concept that we have always embraced. And a couple of stories really center around some of our experiences traveling to destinations that hosted the Olympic and Paralympic Games. We've been covering those games since 2010. And most recently, actually, it's not, (laughs) it's a little bit longer than I thought. Holy cow, time flies. But the games in Sochi, the 2014 games in Sochi and the 2016 games in uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, those two destinations were not treated kindly by mainstream media. As you might remember in Sochi, there was the issue of the Russian-Ukraine conflict and potential terrorist threats. In Rio de Janeiro, there was the threat of crime and the Zika virus. And despite the news reports, my husband and I traveled to those two destinations and really just see for ourselves because we're so well traveled and we've traveled enough to know that not everything is what it appears in mainstream media. And so, of course, when we went to Sochi, certainly there was a huge security presence and they weren't necessarily in your face. You know, but there was a security presence that we could see every now and then, particularly at night. And so because of that security presence, perhaps, and because a lot of the times we spent in the security bubble of the Olympic Park, we certainly didn't experience any terrorism threats or what have you. But we also traveled outside of the security bubble and went into communities, dined at local restaurants, spoke to people with my limited Russian, you know, we're able to communicate with people. And because they probably don't see a lot of people of color in that part of the country, my husband treated like a rock star and everybody wanted his photograph. And many times they gave me the camera to take a picture with him. And I'm like, I'm a person of color too. (laughs) But, you know, bottom line, it was a beautiful experience. Likewise with Brazil, the Zika virus was probably the thing that scared most people. And there was so much emphasis on the Zika mosquito that even athletes who had qualified to participate in those games chose not to participate. And I think that was such a pity because when we got there, 
we learned that the mosquito was actually concentrated in the northeast part of the country in an area called Bahia. And, you know, very few mosquitoes traveled hundreds of miles or whatever down to Rio de Janeiro. And during the time we were there, and we were there for about three weeks, we saw two mosquitoes and they were both in a taxi cab that we had grabbed. And I killed them like lickety split. Taxi driver wasn't happy with me because I smushed his window. But that is all we saw, potentially a Zika mosquito. And so because of the concentration of news on those bad stories, and we know that sensationalized stories sell, but because of those stories, a lot of people were cheated out of those travel opportunities. And I think it also made people afraid to travel to those destinations and interact with the local people. Another thing with Brazil is that the crime activity it's high. And, you know, again, there was a lot of security in the city. So we didn't really experience any crime. But we walked through a favela and a favela are kind of like the shanty towns embedded in the mountain. And we walked through a particular favela and we learned that this favela had an arts concentration. They had a theater. They had a high school that partnered with a Sheraton hotel at the bottom of the hill and developed a hospitality program for uh, the high school children to develop skills in hospitality. And so there was a lot going on, even though there was still drug trafficking in the favela, but not every favela is the same. And not every favela is a hotbed of crime. And in fact, this particular favela, as we walked through the streets by ourselves, there was absolutely zero police presence anywhere. And I had my Nikon camera out, and which is a nice camera. And I was taking photographs of the street art and what have you. And no one bothered us. No one threatened us. We saw the school children in their cute little uniforms going back home after a day of learning and a lot of curious stares at us. You know, who are these foreigners taking photographs? (laughs) So that was our experience. And had we listened to the news, we would have been cheated out of those opportunities. That's why I tell people it's so important important to find your own truth because as some people say there are two sides of the story and the truth is in between well you know when you're on the ground for yourself seeing for yourself that's your truth and your truth generally does not reflect what's reflected in the headlines what you're just sharing really ties into the whole concept of energetic intelligence that i'm looking to bring out into the world in a bigger way because There's more than one way that we get information. We have our intuition, our body picks up and gives us clues. Our brains give us logical information, but then we have emotions. And when we can make assessments about how someone's behaving or how we're behaving, and then look at relational feedback, you know, there's six key areas that I cover in this energetic intelligence blueprint where there's so much information that we have access to all the time. And what you talk about is cultural intelligence. It almost sounds like there's travel intelligence where pay attention to your truth and learning how to trust your truth and take headlines into consideration, take other people's opinions and experiences into consideration. But at the end of the day, take responsibility for finding your truth. I think that really empowers us how we show up in the world with our families, in our communities, and with the 
world as a whole, especially for people that want to explore and travel and have this desire. I want to go back to the language thing. From your perspective, what's a tip that if someone's traveling to a place with a different language, what's the best way that they can approach that to be respectful travelers and how you would approach the language barrier? Yeah, I always say something I do when I travel because I'm not fluent in any one particular language, but I know how to say please and thank you and hello and good evening in several languages. And so my advice is always to learn just a handful of pleasantries in the language of the country you're visiting. You know, there's some universal words like toilet. So you maybe learn where is the toilet or just say toilet and use your body language to uh, demonstrate you're asking a question. Those types of things mean so much. And I'll tell you, even recently, my dental hygienist, who's from South Korea, as she was cleaning my teeth, I said, thank you in South Korean, which is uh, and she was shocked. She's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You know, if you go to South Korea and you, you say that, they'll be so happy. They'll give you food. They'll give you da 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 da. And I saw the same kind of when we were in Sochi, I met a young lady who was in a kiosk in a, a shopping mall right next to our resort. And I always greeted her. I greet Russian people and Russian, because I, I lived in Russia for a little while, so that's my strongest language. And so I said hello to her in Russian, and, and then we started communicating through Google. Uh, there's a Google language app, and so you can type in- Google a Translate. Yeah. <laughs> it's, one of the, it's on the front page of my phone. I know it well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I, mean, I found out she was also a lawyer, and I spent an hour talking with her using this app, talking back and forth and picking up a few Russian words that I know. And this woman was watching her sister's kiosk during the games. I don't know where her sister was, but she just kept giving me presents, you know, beautiful scarves. And, and at one point I said, no, you know, no, you know, thank you, but it's okay. And it's because she formed a connection with me just through my limited language. And so that's something I always recommend. It means a lot to the local people. And frankly, you go to a country like China and you try to speak a bit of Mandarin, depending on what part of the country you're in, Mandarin or Cantonese. What you'll find is that the people there and some other countries, they will insist on talking to you in English because they're trying to perfect their English language skills and that was my experience when I lived and studied in Shanghai. So as a result, I learned a little bit of Mandarin, but I spent a lot of my time teaching English to fellow students. So we're living in Costa Rica right now, and I've had a similar experience. We go to a couple times a week for fresh vegetables and what have you. And Diego and Veronica are the two people that I see most often. And we have an agreement now after a couple months in where they speak to me in English. And I speak to them in Spanish and we're both practicing. And when I get stuck on a word, they help me out. And I swear, I learn at least one new word every time I go to the grocery store, but so do they. And it's a really beautiful relationship that's developed. It also, I think, hearing you describe different cultures and how they show up, but the constant theme 
is that so many cultures, they're intentional about it or not, but they seem to be ambassadors of that country and, and they want visitors to have a good experience. I think it's a really beautiful thing that everyone listening can just recognize if there is a language barrier, asking ourselves, how can we show up as ambassadors of our community and our location to give visitors a good experience of our culture, even if it's not geographically based, but taking that sense of pride in connecting, bridging a gap between somewhere that there's differences Mm -hmm. and we can be a positive impact in that wherever we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And likewise, when we travel abroad, we get to be an ambassador for our country. And I know there are some countries that may, they have a different perception of American travelers. But when we show up and we lean into that experience, we travel intentionally, we travel with respect, we try to make those connections, that shifts something. I always say, Beth, that you never go to war with somebody you break bread with. And so when you're traveling abroad and you're connecting with people from other cultures who do not represent their government, and and I want to make that clear, people do not represent their government body. So I hope that helps alleviate any concern that people may have about different countries. But when you're connecting with others, either through a meal or a cocktail or just saying hello on the street, you're acting as an ambassador and you're forming a connection. And certainly food is one of those universal treasures that we all get to enjoy. And it's like, there's just something about food that brings people together. So if you're sharing a meal with somebody like a homestay meal, or even in a restaurant and join the meal that's brought to you and you strike up a conversation with the service or the chef, in my instance, the chef, I love meeting the chefs. What that does, I mean, you're essentially breaking bread with those individuals. And so my saying again, you do not go to war with people you break bread with. You start to see them as human beings. You start to see them as people just like you. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. I'll share something about, I don't have the strongest stomach. And I notice that when I'm at home, I often almost find a sense of certainty when we go out to eat. I like to go to certain restaurants and I tend to order the same thing. Now I get a lot of variety in my life, but food is one place I like to have certainty. And I also have been challenging myself as we travel to, sometimes I don't know what it actually means. Or for example, I might have an American version of what I think that's going to be. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at, Mm -hmm. but I, it's a way that I choose to be brave. And I also choose to be respectful. It's an experience. And I have to say, I've discovered some of my favorite new foods this way. Some of them are not my favorite, but that's okay. I'm still learning. And I agree that when you break bread, when you share a meal, even when my family and I are sharing a meal at a restaurant to let the waiter know like, oh, I really like this. What is it? How do I say it in Spanish? Or how do I say it in whatever language? It's a really cool experience. It's okay if you're not an adventurous eater, you're trying. And I always say, if you don't stretch, you won't grow. And so that's your way maybe of stretching. And even if you don't like the dish, because there are some things I know I've had and Other things, I just do not want to know what I was eating because it would turn my stomach. But I tried maybe just one bite of 
one particular dish. I tried, you're trying, and I think that's good enough. Like when I was in China, there was a young lady in my program who every single day went to McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken every single day. She would not eat any of the dishes that the university prepared for us, you know, rice-based dishes, soup, vegetables. And I thought, this is a real pity. I really feel that she cheated herself. I mean, she didn't even try and, and also didn't try to speak to the Chinese students. That was a person who was incredibly afraid, but I give her credit for going to China in the first place. And so that was her way of stretching just a little bit. And so if she ever went back again, I hope she tried a few more things. I think the concept of allowing ourselves to be where we are and that stretch to the next step, and it might look different for each of us. Right. I mean, I moved to Africa when I was 15. So I have had a life of wanderlust in my soul and in my heart and My husband and I actually averaged about four to five countries for the first few years of our relationship. And one of the takeaways that I got from the travel on top of the food and the language was who I became just by making the decision to learn about a culture, about another place in the world and about ourselves. When we pick a destination, why am I drawn to that destination? When we go through the process of booking the flights, choosing accommodations, and then packing your bags. You learn about the weather, the climate, the differences, so many differences when you get on the plane and when you get off the plane and things smell different and you hear new sounds. I can tell you from that very first trip to Africa, I still have certain things that when I see them, it's the strangest thing I can smell Africa just Mm. by looking at these things. And it brings me back at the experience of who we become by being willing to stretch ourselves through travel. I find it one of the most pleasurable ways to stretch myself, but I think it's just really, it is a choice and that we get to stretch ourselves one conversation at a time, one meal at a time, one adventure at a time. And I love how many resources you provide to people to meet them where they are, but encourage them to taking that next step with intention and with more than just a vacation in mind. So I think it's really beautiful. I'd love to go behind the scenes with you on a more personal topic. Okay. Get to the woman behind the business. (laughs) So you and your husband are in business together. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're both lawyers, correct? Yes. So you're both lawyers. You're both passionate about social justice. How do you balance this big shared mission that you have with your personal individuality in the business dynamics? How is it working with your husband? I love working with him. And during this last year, when we've been home together 24-7, I mean, I've had a great time because we work very well together. We both have our individual competencies. So I'm more than a storyteller. He does more of the finances on the business side and some of the technical things with the equipment, which I don't always have the greatest patience for. And so we have found a balance and we spend a lot of time talking about different interviews, what we want to bring out of this interview or the types of people we should bring into the interview. Even articles, for example, I just posted an article from one of my writers and it's an opinion piece. 
entitled Why We Should Care About What's Happening in Palestine Today. And my editor who presented this article to us said, you know, because we were very vocal during Black Lives Matter last summer, and we've actually, Ian actually wrote a piece on racism in the travel space, you know, because we are vocal on those things, we wanted to give space to this writer's story. And she happens to be Palestinian. And we thought it's fair to do. And even though we love, we love Israel, but it's okay. And as lawyers, we also feel it's okay to share evidence and to share stories that may criticize some culture if what's happening is not good. And that doesn't mean that you're against that culture. So I think because Ian and I had decided early on that we wanted to be a place where we could offer space for all voices, whether or not we agreed, but all voices to have a say in what's happening in the world without being too political. So we've had to, we've worked hard to find the fine line between becoming, offering political commentary and insights, what I call insights. So luckily we're on the same page and that's how it's, it's been able to work out for us. Well, navigating uncomfortable conversations personally is hard enough, but to be doing it on a public platform, I do share that value of different perspectives. I think we get in trouble when different perspectives are not allowed, but there's a compassion and it's not easy to do. It's not easy to hold space for that all the time. And So I really, I want to honor your approach to that. And I appreciate knowing that when I get information from the resources that you provide, that there's multiple perspectives presented. And so I really appreciate how you and your husband are approaching that and appreciate you sharing that behind the scenes that it's not, we just do the same thing. We do everything together that it feels good to be together because you found a way to highlight what feels good for each of you as individuals as well. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we haven't had creative differences and debates <laughs> over, <laughs> over different ideals, but we've learned how to make it work for World Footprints because it's not about us. And we both know it's not about us. There's something much bigger that we are trying to illuminate. And that's really just, you know, the messaging behind World Footprints and and our hope that one day people will just start to appreciate the common humanity that we share and honor it. I think that's really important. And I appreciate you spotlighting that. It's so good to have you on the show. I would love to end with a few rapid fire questions where I'm going to ask you a quick question. You give me a quick answer so we can get to know a little bit more about Tanya. First thing would be, what is your morning routine like? These days when we get up, we go walking and before we eat, because my cousin who's a personal trainer told me that women need to get their cardio in before they have breakfast. And so, and then some meditation after we're, we're done with the walk. What is something that you get embarrassed by? <laughs> my devil's horns. My dad used to call them my devil's horns and little sprigs of hair that I patted him down for this interview. But, you know, doing these types of interviews, they really don't show up well at all. <laughs> well, I love that you shared it and had the courage to show up because we all have those things. So anybody listening, just be reminded 
that we all have our little quirks and things and it doesn't have to hold us back. Do you have a favorite song to get you pumped up or feeling courageous? Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's a few of them. One by Sarah Bareilles, I Want to Be Brave. And one that I was really jamming to last summer was Rise Up, my Hamilton soundtrack. Oh my gosh. That one gets me going. (laughs) And then final question for today. If people want to connect with you, what is the one place that you spend the most time online or in a community space that they could connect with you? Most of the time I'm on Facebook, on my personal page, the World Footprints page is starting to get a little bit more attention. Well, I know I'm looking forward to staying connected with you. I appreciate you sharing your time and your heart and your mission and your perspective with us today. And I really look forward to seeing your work in the world continue to expand. So thank you so much, Tanya. Oh, thank you, Beth. Oh, it's my pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review. And remember, it's great to have someone tell you what worked for them, but it's better to have someone show you what will work for you. Until next time, I believe in you.